0: Hi, I'm Alice Zhao.
1: I'm Curtis Herbert. And I'm Jelly, a.k.a. Daniel Farrelly.
0: And this is Independence, a show where the three of us talk about our efforts to make a living from the web and mobile. And sometimes we get to decide between the good and the bad ramen. And we all know that, Curtis, you get to eat the good ramen because you're about to, I don't know, two to three X this year.
2: Oh, yeah. We're good ramen (laughs) status now. My sodium levels. I went to the doctor. He's very happy. They're back under control. (laughs) Nice.
0: So here we are at the beginning of 2019. And I think Gus on the Go is at a point where we need some help with development. Both Yano and I, our lives look and different from the time when we started so many years ago and I, at this point like neither of us can work on Gus on the Go full-time but I think that's okay we just have to figure out what does this mean and perhaps now we can function like a, an actual business like a smarter business one that takes what they earn and is able to invest it instead of you know keeping it all but I want to be able to invest it and and at this point without either of us being able to be full-time like and we're and we're in the middle of the development cycle, a heavy development cycle. Like I, it just seems right to look for help for Yano at this point. Mm. And this is not about his capabilities; it's just purely bandwidth. And so we do have a previous episode where we've talked about outsourcing and like the reasons why we want to outsource and some of our experiences. But this would be my or our first time hiring a developer. And so for me, it's been a long time since I've been a developer, and I don't—I barely remember what it's like to be a developer at a new place and trying to train or onboard. But from a hiring point of view, now I'm just like, I don't know, what do we do to prepare? I mean, I mean for you guys, if you were to consider a developer, what, what's like the first step you would have to do?
2: Apologize profusely for the code base <laughs> they're about to inherit. <laughs> I feel like that goes without saying.
0: Right?
2: It's those rare cases where you're paying your... Uh, Pain and suffering fee to another developer.
1: <laughs> I mean, being that I, I'm the only person that's ever worked on Gifwrapped means that as a general rule, I have most of everything in my head somewhere. Yeah, yeah. that's what I figured. It's, you know, it's a cluttered mess, just like the rest of my desk. But, uh, you know, it's it's in there somewhere. Uh, but do you know
0: where everything is, Curtis? He knows where it is.
1: I do eventually find it. You know, I just had I had the need for a screwdriver earlier and there's a box of them here on my desk. <laughs> Convenient. I think the thing about that, though, is that it it sort of lends me the ability to not be quite so full on about commenting and documenting Mm -hmm. and making sure that everything sort of is written down. The thing is, even me, even Future Jelly needs that documentation. So it should be something that I'm doing. But as a general rule, when you work on your own code base, it sort of tends to be one of those things that that's the first thing that drops off the list. But when there's other developers involved, it's really necessary, like really necessary. I know that me coming into a code base, it's a lot harder to understand what's going on if there's just stuff that's like, what does this even do? (laughs) So I think that would be one of the things that I would want to do for for wrapped before bringing anybody into that code base is making sure that at least the stuff that's tangentially related to what they're working on, that that stuff is documented and it's relatively easy to figure out What's going on?
2: I don't know what I would need to do. Um, I think I need to more clearly, kind of along the documentation lines, document the major systems and how they work. Because over the years, I've really done, I think, a decent-ish job like 30 asterisks on that statement there, that it's reasonably organized into different subsystems and things are separated as they should be. Um, So if I bring someone in, for example, to do work on localization, that stuff, it's going to be all over the place, but it's not like they're having to go... Like, all my UI code is the kind of the UI code. And then I have my recording code is over here. And it's all nicely separated in plug-in systems mm. and all that kind of stuff. But I think I would need to better document, like, how does this all fit together? How do all these different modules fit together? So they would know where they would need to look. Because once they're in the modules, I try and stay as close to the platform as I can. So, like, I use storyboards. I use auto layout. I use all the things that you would expect to find in an iOS app. So I feel like I don't have a large learning curve. In terms of, oh, I have to make sure I have a React Native developer or something like that. Like a standard iOS developer should be able to come in. I think it's just my organization of all my modules and like subsystems and stuff like that that's where I really need some documentation. Not necessarily at like the class level or something, but they, cause it, I feel like that's step two for me. Like step one is like, how does this Lego monstrosity fit together? And then step two can be like, okay, let me comment these individual things. So I feel like I need better, like high level overview documentation of how it all pieces.
1: I mean, it depends on what you're getting them to work on, right? Like if you're okay. getting them to come in and just sort of, do something like localization where it's very little touching of the code honestly like it's Mm -hmm. mostly just let's throw a bunch of ns localized string calls in there and then you know that's really the most of it if you were getting them to build say a feature or you know work on some of the some of the bugs or something like that you probably still want to cover off all of that sort of stuff because that's going to be more like that's still going to matter if you are going to fix a UI bug, you need to know where to look for the UI stuff. Yeah. Mm. But on the other hand, like you will probably also need to make sure that like the documentation covers stuff that they're going to be wanting to fix or at least be available to, you know, to explain that. Yeah. And I think that's probably a secondary thing to the documentation thing is making sure like, cause you're never going to get everything documented to a level that somebody else is going to just walk in and go, Yeah, I know exactly what this means. Yeah. I
0: mean you want collaboration and like discussion anyway. I don't think it would be just purely handing it off.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You need to make sure that when when you're hiring somebody, it's not just a like, okay, we're gonna hire you to do this thing. Okay, goodbye. We'll see when it's done. It's it tends to be like a back and forth because they need Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. they need to ask questions. You need to make sure that things are going as as you expect. You know, there's there is a level of managing that has to go into dealing with people that are working on your stuff.
2: Yeah, I think it's really going to depend on at what point of your product's life cycle they're coming in. So, Alice, mm. I think that you have kind of a unique opportunity where it sounds like Yano was able to get some work done on yeah. SuperGus plus plus three, but <laughs> there's still a lot of work to be done there. So, it's yeah. very much still a greenfield project versus coming in something yeah. like Slopes. You have five years of code at this point that's all built up. So I feel like when someone would come in with slopes, there's a lot of education that I would need to do for how all the subsystems work together. You know, how does the watch manage to get the stuff to the phone and like just stuff like that, like all these things versus your project. A lot of that's going to be maybe Yano coaching them on how he'd like to see it done. Yeah. But there isn't as much by far trying to like document the system
1: yeah a recent project that i worked on is actually a really good example of this because and i can't give you any of the details because client stuff but (laughs) basically i had to write a i had to write a piece of a larger picture for a client project and that piece they knew how it needed to work i was really just the guy writing the code and i had That sounds really sort of like I was just the guy pressing the keys. That's not the case. I had a lot of stuff to architecture and make sure that it worked. But they had a good general overview of like, we have a piece that manages the data that comes from other sources. We have this piece of the pie that, you know, takes the data and does stuff with it. We have this other piece of the pie that then like passes that over to, that data over to another part of the project so that, you know, it can be be handled by the UI and stuff like that. Like, they had a very good understanding of how they wanted the functionality to be. I had a lot of a lot of work to do still, you know, just getting the thing to work correctly. And that it was architecture in a very swifty way and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. overall, they had a really good understanding of what they needed. And that is really key to being able to get your money's worth out of anybody, out of any contractor. If you know what you're wanting to a good enough level, then you're going to get a lot more out of the time that you have them for. And there's not going to be all of that sort of questioning of like, okay, but how do you want this to work? And how do you want that to work? And stuff like that. Yeah.
2: yeah, And it can depend too on how independent you want them to be. So for me, when I was doing a lot of contracting work, usually clients would bring me in Because they were the entrepreneurs with the idea or something like that. And they wanted a code base that was good, but they didn't want to have to understand a damn thing about it. So they Mm, were leaving it to me to educate them on technical trade-offs. You know, what happens if we tried something like PhoneGap versus going native? You know, what happens if we use this as a back-end versus this as a back-end? They wanted to understand those high-level business decisions and kind of have me come in there as more of a business partner who could happen to execute on code while he was at it. Someone like you and Yano, you might want someone who is closer to the code monkey level of things, where I'm sure the goal in the end of this is like Yano's going to take the code base back over. Hopefully, as things ramp up, get finished, it launches. It hopefully does well enough that he can start to dedicate more time to it. And he's not going to want someone that came in and like did all these things this one weird way that he doesn't know. He's going to want Correct. oversight there, Correct. and he's going to say like, "No, this is yeah. these are the patterns I want you to follow. I don't want you using yes. vapor or MVVM. I want you using this." Like, he's going to be opinionated in that way. Yeah, and I think that's part of the challenge you might run into is like. Finding the right fit for a contractor can be hard in that way because it really runs the gamut.
0: Oh, you think so? Do you think that's harder than someone to do like kind of more architecture stuff? that Jelly no, 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 no. I more mean or? that
2: it, it's you can find people to do either one. But I think part of your challenge is going to be finding the right person for you. Correct. Not that anyone is more rare, but filtering through all those people to find them can be more challenging i believe
0: yeah i so like i know great developers exist obviously and and so i'm not worried about like finding a bad one like i feel like i've talked to people who were purely entrepreneurs are like terrified of hiring a bad developer and i'm like you know i think we we've got that covered it's more finding like someone who would enjoy this work and be able to mm. work well with yano and well it might not
2: even be that they're bad that's the hard thing like i've noticed that In working with other clients, like they usually come to me after a bad experience and then they're like, okay, we'll actually pay money this time and not try and get someone cheap. (laughs) But a lot of times what it could be is not necessarily even bad, but like very much to the letter of the law spec of what the contract was. So like you said, we'll do it like this and we did it exactly how you said, but you didn't think through all these weird edge cases and that made this entire thing a piece of shit. I see. So they are very, very much just the raw code monkey of go in, write the code as the documentation says to, and then leave. And that can be hard if that's not what you want. Like they're expecting that they're going to be managed by a senior engineer or something. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of finding the right person on the spectrum there for what you're looking for. Okay. And if Yano is full time right now, like he (laughs) might not have a lot of time to manage them. So you might have to trade off and say like, okay, well, maybe we can't be super controlling about the code base and we have to find a partner that we can trust with this to come in and say okay we need a good code base can you get to work on this and then Yano's going to inherit what he inherits
0: do you think it matters if the developer cares about like the type of pro like technical problem that they're solving
2: or at least they don't hate those kind of problems like i know there are some people who (laughs) do
0: you hate this yes or no circle
2: (laughs) i mean and this is going to be the hard part to interview for and at the end of the day the person's going to take the job to get the money um but i think your best fit is going to be someone who doesn't mind solving the kind of problems that your app will present them technically speaking because you know there are people who hate the idea of networking and back-end services and interacting with them. And they just want to spend all day in UI kit. And then there are people who absolutely hate UI kit and want nothing but to just stay down at the data layer. And I think that while either one could get you the app that you want, um, the one that's more proficient with the kind of problem you're trying to have them solve is definitely going to speed things up a little bit, I think. And you'll probably just get, better results at that point
1: yeah look i i think i think it's one of these things where as long as they can own what they're creating like they they have a sense of ownership about what they're doing like not in the case of like they own the content and you like they own the code that they write and you can't have it screw you (laughs) but more in the sense of like you know they take whatever problem that you have you've, you've given them and they like they take it as their own to like to their their own thing to solve as long as you can get that out of somebody like it doesn't matter what they like to work on because the problem is something that they care about and it's not even the content of the app and it's not even the like the the what what realm that's in as long as they can care about that then then you you you're sorted i've worked on plenty of stuff where like you know the content of the of what i was working on i don't care about but the problems that i was solving the stuff that i it, that was stuff that I had interest in. You know, mm. I've turned down jobs because, and just recently I turned down a job because the job was like, you know, building a web portal for stuff. And I have no interest in going back to web. Like yeah. it's not something that I'm interested in dealing, that's not problems that I, I'm interested in dealing with. But, you know, I'll take most iOS stuff that comes my way because I, it, regardless of whether or not I like UI kit. Or the model layer or network stuff, which, you know, I can do all of that. The overall problems that are being solved, like I'm interested in, I'm, I'm, you know, I can take those on as my own thing to solve and they become something that I care about just you know, just for that little moment, even if I don't care about the larger picture. Yeah.
0: That sounds like it is a very difficult thing to find, like to yeah. decipher between like when you're interviewing candidates, like how do we how do I know that? I don't know if you've ever been able to answer someone else's questions and reveal that.
1: I don't think I've ever been asked a question like that. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't either. I mean, a lot of that's just
2: knowing my friends in this industry. And when we're chatting and stuff, like I'll kind of get to know where they like to live and the kind of problems they like to solve. And then if I hear a job come up that's like, hey, I'm looking for a UI kit expert or something like that, then I know who to point to yeah and then I know the more generalists who will just kind of take on whatever and solve whatever. And at the end of the day, they're just yeah. you know doing a good job clocking their hours, but it's just clocking the hours.
0: I mean, I would assume just for the sake of this conversation that I don't necessarily have the network that will find me the right person. I mean, because I think if it sounds like you're good at recommending and like you know, building that network, right? finding people and putting them together.
2: Oh, I'm terrible with that. I hide under my desk all oh. the time <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> but i I guess my my point is that. I think like I'm just going to assume that I'm not able to find someone through the network of friends like I'm going yeah. ha- I might I might have to go blindly elsewhere. So, where do developers hang out?
2: So, my best recommendation is just going to a nearby Apple store <laughs> and just standing outside there with and some kind of Curtis! sign. Curtis, are you here? <laughs> I don't live by all the Apple stores, just the ones just one Just No, I mean, I think the iOS community still kind of treats Twitter as its water cooler. Mm. Is 2019 near the year that that stops? We'll see. Probably not, <laughs> yeah. but that's definitely, I think, where I see a lot of traffic in terms of people job swapping and stuff like that. Like, i gotcha. retweets all the time, like, hey, I'm looking for part-time work, remote, iOS, yada, yada, yada. So I think if you put a call out there, that's the first one that comes to mind beyond lever- leveraging personal networks, like, you know, the people I know, the people Jelly knows, stuff like that.
0: When you guys were looking for gigs, did, was it through... Like a service or was it also through like recommendations?
1: I think all of my work has come through recommendations.
2: Yeah, same. There's one of my friends, Kirby, the guy who lives in Vermont at a ski resort. I really need to do that. (laughs) He started right before he took his job at Apple. Uh, He was really getting in pretty hard with the contracting stuff and like min-maxing the heck out of using all those services that are out there to generate Mm. leads and then turn those into big contracts and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, And he was really turning into, like, a full-on shop, basically. I, on the other hand, were always just word of mouth. And that was always enough to keep me busy, which was nice. But I never really had luck with the services. They always seemed like the super cheap jobs were there.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've used Odesk or some of the other ones for some of my smaller jobs, um, like translation. And in some ways, I feel like I could sort of, like, as a person hiring, I could make a mistake there and it wouldn't cost me as much. But this feels like a, a bigger deal. It's going to yeah. cost me more money. So I feel like I don't want to necessarily go in that direction first, for
2: sure. Well, and that might be kind of getting back to your one of your questions for like, how do you want to get your code ready? Hmm. Something you might want to consider getting ready is figuring out how to get more visibility into the project as it's being worked on, because you're saying you know it's less risk going on Odes with some of the smaller jobs, and that's usually because they're quicker, they turn around faster, and if it's a failure, you're out you know a couple hundred bucks, and you yeah. find that out right away. But if you're doing something like this, this is a much much bigger job um so you might want to spend some time to think through. How can I break this up into milestones, into deliverables, something like that, so that we can get insight into this process on a biweekly basis or something like that that's more than just a status report from them. You know, chalking things into pull requests or something like that that Yano can look at. Like finding some way to make sure that things are going right so you can pull that ripcord as soon as you need to if it starts going wrong. That makes a lot of sense. That also
1: helps with sort of managing the amount of stuff that you're giving any one particular person. Like if you find a person that is really good at doing the UI work, then you can sort of just hand them UI tasks and stuff like that. Or, or it can be as simple as things like you have one particular sort of aspect you, you need to complete, like some sort of level manager for getting into stories or particular lessons and stuff like that. Uh, if you need to have something like that built, then you can have like that as its own thing. And then all the animation stuff and all the other stuff like that would be separate anyway. Mm -hmm. And it can help you sort of break down those tasks in such a way that any one particular part of the code base isn't necessarily like, you don't have to have that being worked on one by one person. True. If that makes
0: sense. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, at this point, I don't think I even know what the scope is going to be at some point. Diana and I will have to have this conversation. We're just still in holiday mode. One day we'll break down what 2019 is going to look like. <laughs> I imagine it's difficult for you guys to... Because the entire code base right now is yours, right? And to give up the ownership is, I'm sure, not easy.
1: I would be really happy to like give up parts of my app <laughs> to somebody
0: else.
2: So happy at this point. So the one time there is somebody else's code in Slopes. Uh-oh. Last year <laughs> when I got in the middle of my watch rewrite... Uh, I got a UI recommendation from somewhere important that basically I got a sketch handed to me like, oh, it'd be really cool if your UI looked like this. It was like, shit, I have to do this now. <laughs> so I spent the design time designing it out to actually figure out what it would look like and stuff. And then it got to the code time. And I'm still working on the entire data layer for my watch. And I hired friend of the show, Joe Chablinski, um, because he's one of those guys who loves living in UI kit and watch mm. kit and anything UI. He's is great at, so I hired him for that, and it ended up being only like a three or four day project. Uh, but he wrote the new UI layer for my watch app, and it was definitely weird giving up that control. But also, I think because it kind of felt like an isolated module, it didn't feel as weird giving up that control. Because um, it felt like getting a CocoaPod or uh, some third-party SDK or something like that. And we all know I love those. <laughs> they, it's just like, oh, okay. Well, now my UI is just written by Joe over here. And I have to maintain those couple classes. But it's not like it like permeated tentacle-wise all throughout my code. Yeah, like yeah. It's, it's a little area. And that felt okay. You also have some of my code in there. <laughs> oh, right. I'm sorry. There are two. Yes, I use your uh, alternate icon picker. That is the source of two of my Crashlytics crashes, by the way. Never use third-party code or friend code. Well,
1: don't, well, don't worry. I'm about to, uh, I'm thinking of rewriting it and potentially putting it into a CocoaPod. So you'll you'll be 100% happy with the update.
2: Oh, that'll be great. Perfect, perfect. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, okay. Of all the contracts you guys have taken on like how did you gauge like what you wanted to work on or what gig was worth working on and if if it wasn't just purely for the money and you had a choice like you know I want I want to do this gig what kind of like factors played into that
2: so for me this might not be the most helpful answer for you Um, but keep in mind (laughs) at the time consulting was my way of living and it's what I was considering doing for quite some time and I was really trying to build that Um, I never really wanted to become an agency per se, but like I wanted to stay in the consulting game. Um, So for me, definitely kind of the feel I got from the client was a really big factor. You know, what were they like to communicate with? You know, I had some clients that I turned down because there's a big red flag of like they're emailing me at all hours of the night. Like even during the proposal phase, they're just going crazy. Or I had one client who like he would give me a spec at the last minute and then as I'm like trying to price it out would keep changing it on me. Oh, like yeah. just red flags that really didn't show respect in the relationship was a big deal for me. And then I was also towards the end of that really focusing on getting clients that valued me more as a business partner that could execute on the code stuff than just a code monkey. And that was really what I started to look for, you know, who actually needed more than just a coder that you could get on Odesk or from Europe or from wherever. But somebody who actually understood the app store market could recommend strategies and stuff like that. Um, Now, you're going to be less interested in that part, but I think at least the respect is going to be a big deal there. And I think that the people that you're going to be looking for to kind of replace Yano for a while... You don't want just generic code monkey A in there. Like you want someone you can trust. Yeah. But then someone like that is also going to be filtering clients based on who's showing me respect, um, and who's respecting my time and my expertise, and is willing to trust me to do a good job, not have to micromanage everything I do. So I think that might be something to make sure you're aware of as you're going through the process. Okay. Yeah, I I would agree, but I would also build on it by
1: saying that like while it's good to be trusted and to not be micromanaged but on the other hand like if if I get the feeling from a from a client that they sort of don't really know what they want yeah. or if it's uncle like they they're not really clear or if they've just put a sentence together and they don't understand the implications of like what they're asking for I understand that like a client, might need my expertise because they don't know code but if they don't understand what they're even trying to build yeah Yeah. that is a problem to me because i can't build something that they just haven't even like they've not spent any time thinking about
0: yeah and this is the reason why i never wanted to go into the client business (laughs) i like product better
2: (laughs) well and some of that varies though because like for me having somebody approach me if they had no idea that was one thing but if they approach me and they're like hey, this is what I want to do, I would tell them on some discovery sessions and be like, okay, well, let's sit down, let's look at your budget, and let's see what's possible to get you as close to what you want mm. as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I would be very clear about like, okay, we're going to have some paid discovery sessions for that, essentially road mapping sessions. Right. And I enjoyed that kind of stuff. But if they're also coming in and they're just like, well, I just want to quote on this work... And they don't know what they want. Like Jelly is saying, like, that's a big red flag there. Yeah. So I think he'll be pretty well off because Yano can help do a lot of the things you would normally need during discovery sessions, like figuring out, OK, about how much work is this? You know, what mm-hmm. right. are the general technical requirements here? Uh, he can provide some of that guidance up front. So that should help it so you can be a little bit more prepared than I think the average client. Yeah, I I think
0: we should be okay on that. I mean, we just have to figure out what it is that we want right now first. But yeah, I think like by the time it comes to hiring someone, we would have all that squared away.
2: So after you figure all this stuff, (laughs) out, you need to do me a favor and write all this down so that if I ever actually pull the trigger (laughs) on running an Android app, You've already done all these lessons learned. Oh,
0: that's different. We're not going into. And- I feel like that's a whole different type of Oh, it's a whole hiring. different. Yeah. It's all- and
2: I'd be hiring full-time probably to keep up. Right,
0: right. Yeah. I'll see what I can do.
2: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Well, anyway, uh, if you are a developer and you want to work with <laughs> Gus on the Go, come find me. This episode this is sponsored actually, by Gus on the Go. This was all about me looking for someone through Independence No, <laughs> Or if you just want to share your success stories of contract development, you can get in touch with us. (laughs) Hello at independence.fm or on our site at independence.fm slash contact. Sometimes we're on Twitter. I am at must. I am at parrots, the plural of the bird.
1: And I am jelly bean soup.
0: Thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you again in a fortnight. Goodbye. Not you too, damn it! (laughs)